Let's pray as we come to the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful by your grace and your mercy that you have given us your word. Lord, your word to uh, transform us, to change us, Lord, to lead us in your ways. So, Father, as we come to your word again this morning, we ask for exactly that, Lord. Lead us in your ways. Draw us ever nearer to you. Amen. This morning we're continuing in our series on Ezra and Nehemiah, and we come to the end of the book of Ezra. We're going to be looking at uh, Ezra chapter 9 and chapter 10. So it's a fair bit for us to, to wade through this morning. Throughout our passage today, uh, there, there are some complicated issues that we won't be able to fully unpack. The first, which we're going to, we're going to touch on, on a fair bit this morning, uh, is when should we compromise and when shouldn't we compromise? Um, something that we're, we're going to explore a little bit but probably come back to a little bit later on sometime down the track and explore a little bit more in depth. The second issue that we're going to see is, is related to how the, the returned exiles deal with their, the, the, the main issue of our passage of intermarrying with, with all sorts of other people groups. And the way they dealt with that was essentially through divorce. Um, what we find in our passage today is not a biblical framework or principle for divorce. Um, and, and so what we're going to do is next week, we're actually going to look at what does the Bible say? What does God say about divorce? And today we're going to be looking more at what were the issues around that? Why, why was that necessary for these people in this situation and circumstance? Uh, so if you've got questions around divorce... Hold them for next week and, and we'll get on to them. So if you've got your Bibles, open with me and we'll start reading from chap, uh, Ezra chapter 9, verse 1. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, <clears throat> that's Ezra, they approached Ezra and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with, with their abominations. From the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons. So that the holy race has mixed itself with the people of the, of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, Ezra writes... I tore my garments and my cloak and pulled my hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of God, the God of Israel, because of their faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garments and my cloak torn I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, O oh my God, I'm ashamed and blush to, to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the day of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. 
And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as is today. But now, for a brief moment, favours has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant, to give us a secure hold within this holy place that our God might brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the king of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of God to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying the land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the land with with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved, And have given us a remnant at this. Shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with these people who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. Let's pause there. To begin with here, we see this situation arose with some of the leaders bringing an issue before Ezra. His response is telling of how significant this issue of intermarrying is. At the heart of the issue is that the people that had returned from exile, that God had had kept aside out of Judah, to to restore Israel, to keep his promises to Abraham, uh, to keep his promises to David, and even to keep his promise to Adam, as we've looked at. They've married the, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. The problem with the people marrying is that they, these people have a proven track record of defying God. And not bending their knee to God. I want to be clear. God in the Old Testament is not an exclusive God simply for the people of Israel only. Time and again, he makes allowance for for those outside of his people to come in. There are provisions for the alien that lives amongst the, the people of Israel to be conformed and transformed, to be belong to the people of Israel. We also have, have Abraham's intercession for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, where, where God sends Jonah to the people of Nineveh. Time and again, we see that, that God's, God's desire is not simply for the benefit of his people, 
but that through his people, as his promise was with Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. We see the depravity, the lengths of their depravity in Leviticus chapters, uh, chapter 18. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and my laws. For the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. And further down in verse 24, he continues, God continues, Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detestable things. See, even there, there is this provision for the natives amongst them to conform to the ways of God, to be transformed by God's covenant that was even available in the Old Testament. And the warning again in verse 28, And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be carried off from their people, keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about um, marriage and marriage with the unbeliever and he used this term unequally yoked. This concept of being unequally yoked is, is at the heart of, of what we, we read here in Leviticus, and what the heart of what we're seeing as the core, the root of the problem in Ezra 9 and 10. The people had let their hearts drift from God and they unequally yoked their lives from God's ways. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, this is significant because often we, we read about the promised land and how God gave Abraham the promised land and, and, and it was this wonderful blessing. But God did not give Abraham and Israel the promised land because of their faithfulness. And we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Um, 1 to 12. God did not give Abraham that, that promise. He promised it down the track because he knew the unfaithfulness and that the time that would come of, of the people that, that lived in that land, the people of Canaan. And he knew that the judgment upon them was coming. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess the nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God, he will destroy them and subdue them before you. You shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart, 
after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And that he may confirm the word of the Lord that he swore to your father Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. You know, this, this idea of, of um, taking for granted our righteousness is, is again an unequally yoking of, of ourselves to God's ways and God's heart. So often as Christians, we walk with our head held high. We turn, look down our nose at the rest of the world who are these defiled sinners. To which God's remarks do not consider that you stand there in your own righteousness. Let us not be unequally yoked from God's heart. And we see that, that what Ezra has referred to in, already in chapter 9 is, is he's looking back at, at how Israel had uncoupled themselves from God's ways. The northern kingdom came apart, fell apart because they had taken to the ways of the people of the land that God told them not to. And we read about this in 2 Kings chapter 17. And this occurred because the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of his nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right, they built for themselves high places in all the towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every garden, uh, every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did, whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord's anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this this was the warning the legacy that had gone before them and they had seen God's punishment they had heard his prophecies and his warnings time and again and yet now even the remnant those who have returned to rebuild God's city God's place God's beacon to the world are beginning to fall foul again of decoupling their lives, disyoking themselves. I'm not sure if that's a word, but it seems right. Disyoking themselves from God because the yoke is what connected the horse or the oxen to the cart. And if you're unequally yoked, it's, it's imbalanced and things don't go the way that they should. We're not talking about an egg yoke when we're talking about being yoked and equally yoked. And, and, and so we see this disconnection being brought in through the values and the principles and, and the priorities of the lives of the remnant that had returned to rebuild. We pick up in chapter 10. While Ezra prayed 
and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women and children gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Elam, addressed Ezra. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives, to divorce all these wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord. And of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehoanan, the son of Eliashab, where he spent the night, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all who return, all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem and that if anyone did not come within three days by order of, of the officials and their elders, all his property should be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. And all, all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from their foreign wives, then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so, we must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is a time of heavy rain, and we cannot stand in the open, nor is it a task for one day or for two. For we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter has been turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Ashaniel, and Jahaziah, the son of Tivik, opposed this. And Meshalem and Shabbatai, the Levite, supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of the father's households, according to their father's houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of it all, all of the men who had married foreign women. The response of the returned exiles was to put away or divorce these wives and their children. It should not be seen as a biblical principle for divorce and if we see anything of God's heart and God's character through other passages in the silence that we are, we're not told the, the, what happened to these women, what happened to these children. But I think we can draw on, on the examples that we have with, with Abraham and Isaac that these women were not forgotten by God. Yet they would have been held accountable for their faithlessness. 
Compromise can often be seen as a dirty word, a weakness, evidence of a lack of integrity, authority and resilience. But compromise is, is, is not always a bad thing. It's, in fact, it's an essential part of any healthy relationship. A relationship where at least one person is not willing to compromise is at worst guaranteed to end in a messy divorce or breakdown at best. And at worst, it's a relationship defined by a domineering person, manipulation and abuse. Compromise is how we show grace and patience. Compromise is how we demonstrate love for someone over our own preference or personal desire. Let me give you some examples. Before Nell and I were married, I used to always have the radio on at night and I would have it, leave it on all through the night. I, I found it comforting uh, to have the, the, the Christian music playing and um, as it so happened during my REM cycle of sleep, that's when you dream, that would be when Focus on the Family came on with jo Dr. James Dobson and I would wake up feeling refreshed every morning having dreamt what, what had been on the radio. Uh, I, I found it quite refreshing rejuvenating it didn't disturb my sleep in fact I, I think it 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 helped it but Linnell never slept with any sound or music playing and, and so having the radio on all night meant that it would wake her up in the middle of the night it would disrupt her sleep in order to deepen our relationship to increase our intimacy I compromised I compromise so that we, we might have some music or something playing um, while we're going to sleep and then have it turn off. Uh, other things that we might compromise in a relationship might be the type of food you eat. If someone in your family has an allergy, you make a choice to give it up for their sake. Or, or if they don't like spicy food, perhaps you tone it down or, or cut it out or don't have it while, while they're eating with you. You might go even as far, and this is, this is some serious compromising, as changing your uh, sports team that you support. That's some, some serious commitment to a relationship there. You might even change some of your recreational activities or take up new hobbies. You see, compromise, the goal of compromise is about building relationship and building intimacy and closeness. It doesn't have to be just a romantic relationship either. It could be any type of relationship, whether it be at work or, or with your neighbours or, or a parent from your kid's school. We make compromises in order to meet people where they're at, to be able to speak into their lives. Jesus talks about it when he says, you know, if, the Roman, if a Roman soldier asks you to go one mile, go with him two if he asks you for your cloak, give him your, your tunic. And, and, and he gives us the ultimate example of compromise. We read that in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, instead of holding on to the things that you like and the things that you want, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look to his own interest, but to the interests of others. This is the definition of compromise, isn't it? Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who was in the very form of God, 
did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When it comes as a Christian to understanding that line between compromise and no compromise. This is the line of what it means to compromise. We compromise my life. I compromise my comfort. I compromise everything that exists in this breath and this life for the sake of the cross. Because my hope... My inheritance is not here in the present. In eternity, I am secured. But there are times when there is a line that we do not cross. As we have seen that the exiles had crossed. When we compromise our priorities and our values away from God. That's a compromise too far. When we place a higher value on our property our personal relationships, our desire for comfort and safety above our relationship with God, we've compromised too far. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then at the end of chapter 6, he says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, there are so many ways that we compromise in the same way that, that Ezra did. We, it may not be that we're taking wives from the Amalekites, but we're allowing the things of the world, the things of the land that, in which we live, to invade our priorities, to usurp God's place in our life. What, what the people, the exiles were called to was to separate those priorities and, and cast them away, put them away and to pursue God and their relationship with God and the heart of God with all they had. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told his disciple, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I want you to listen to these next verses. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
What shall a man give in return for his soul? There's so many pressures and so many questions pressing in on us. If we want to genuinely, authentically give everything that we have to Jesus, we have to do it fearlessly, compassionately and gently. You see, the call that Jesus gives us is not to lay down our lives for the righteous, but the unrighteous. Not to be gracious and gentle to the Christian, but the sinner. And when we move away from that, we compromise too far. We need to find that balance. Being yoked to Jesus doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from the world. We separate our lives from worldly values, from worldly priorities in order to live the gospel of Jesus so that those who are broken, those who are sinful, can know God's grace and God's love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and, Lord, there's, there's, there's so many things that press in on our hearts and press in on our lives. There's so many things that, 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 that drive us to distraction and, and drive us away from your ways, from your heart, your character, your righteousness, your holiness, your mercy, your compassion, your love. Lord, it is our desire to be transformed once more, ever more increasingly, your way. Lead us in your ways, Lord. Convict us of anything that we are holding above you. Lord, that we may honour you and worship you and see the fruit of your magnificent, glorious kingdom at work in our lives. Amen.